Today's episode of Great Minds is brought to you by TiVo. TiVo knows things are far from normal. The last few months, TiVo's helped me rediscover and reconnect with shows I had long forgotten about. Thanks to TiVo, I've watched Mad Men. Boy, what a great series that is, and I never would have found it without TiVo. So if you're thinking about where and how you can promote your shows and movies to millions of highly engaged U.S. households, think TiVo. There's no better way to reach your audience and find out what they're searching for than TiVo. Their suite of offerings drives viewers directly to your programming. From in-guide ad banner placements to content-rich native offerings, find out how to make the most of your programming promotions by emailing TiVo at getconnectedattivo.com. Nelson Mandela had so much compassion for his brothers and sisters. People don't realize it's about the Beatles, that they knew they were brilliant. You saw thousands of people along the rail line just standing there to say goodbye to Bobby Kennedy. One story in every human being that defines who you are. Do we film on a volcano that's just about to explode? But the reason this mail pack has been astoundingly successful is because there are pictures of rabbits on the envelope. I mean, I remember it so well where, you know, I was like, hello, hi, Susie, hi, it's LD. I was like, oh, hi, Lyle, what's up? I mean, I think there's something about chaos, right? It either, either you run from it or you run towards it. And for me, there was really this in- instance of wanting to run towards it. Welcome to Great Minds. And our guest today is Bayer's Global Chief Marketing and Digital Officer and someone I've gotten to know over the years and has become a true friend, Patricia Corsi. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you very much, Matt. It's uh, fantastic to be here uh, talking to you from sunny Switzerland. Let's start in a global destination. And for you, that's a multi-layered answer. (laughs) Many folks have a global perspective, and it's because they've traveled to a place or might have a map of the world in their living room. But you have a genuine global perspective, having lived in Brazil, the UK, the Netherlands, Mexico, and now Switzerland. Talk about how living in all of these places has really shaped who you are today. So uh, first, I've, I've never thought that this was going to happen to me. Um, I come from, you know, I'm Brazilian, as you say, I come from Italy, a family of Italian immigrants. Um, and uh, my father and my grandfather, um, you know, my grandfather only moved from Italy to Brazil and never left. And my father has never left Brazil. So I was the first one to to have this, uh, I'm going to say, adventure spirit Um but, you know, look, it takes a lot of courage to do this. I've, you never, when you're doing it, you don't realize it. Um, but I remember the first time that I was uh, in an expat assignment, it was in 2008. Uh, we moved from Brazil to the UK. My son was four months old. So uh, we were uh, parents of a newborn going to a foreign country, uh, and for the first time living away from our family and friends uh, in a completely different culture, the Latin culture and the Anglo-Saxon culture. Um, And it was fantastic. Uh, I have to say, you know, and I don't know if I have a bias of being a Brazilian and, and, and always looking for the positive spin on things and what's the gift that we can find, But it was a fantastic experience. Uh, In terms of multicultural experiences, um, I think it comes from my father and my grandfather. Uh, Look, uh, they are both, uh, uh, they were both amazing, hardworking men. Um, They inspire me to this day. Uh, My grandfather came and he had nothing and he started working as a chef. And then suddenly he, out of his, uh, you know, out of the work of his hand, he's uh, built a hotel and then he was the owner of a hotel. He did very well. My father went on the same line and, and he was a very famous restaurateur in Brazil with many restaurants. Both of them never been to university. Um, both of them never left Brazil. But they were extremely curious and they believed in the power of um, helping the community and, uh, and connecting If you have um, a business in hospitality, 
and you don't see the best in people, it's very difficult to be successful. Um, I don't know if you if you heard that, Matt. But do you know what's the uh, do you know what makes the difference between a great meal and an awful meal? Tell me. It's not the food. It's the company. Yeah. So you see the the what the service in the restaurant. People will come back because that the ambience was so great because the service is so great. My father, uh, he, went, he went to school until sixth grade and he could speak five different languages because it was all about serving his clientele. And he loved to speak about the food in the original uh, language of the food. He had different restaurants. He had French restaurants, Italian restaurants, uh, international restaurants. And, and that for me, uh, it was a, a, a great source of inspiration, you know, um, always very committed to, to the community, uh, always very uh, helpful, very low ego. My father had a very old car his whole life. Uh, and for him, the car was just a means of transport. Um, so very humble. And, and, and I remember that this was uh, something that inspired me a lot. He never complained. And uh, if he had his health, he was always positive. We see where the spirit came from and where that fire came from. When you were a young gal growing up in Brazil, did you work? Did you have internships or early work experience before your first job, you know, post-university? Absolutely. So I started working with my dad when I was nine. And um, because, you know, very hardworking man he was, he never took holidays. So I started working with him to spend more time with him. So while my, my other friends, um, you know, at the street that we live in, uh, they were learning, you know, fun, fun things about life. I was learning about first thing, first out, because I was helping him with the restaurant inventory. So it was, uh, I, I started working with him very early on. And then uh, when I went to university, I've also did internships. And my first internship actually was at Sony, Sony Music, a uh, very progressive division. And interesting or not, uh, one of the reasons I was chosen is because I was the only person who could speak English. And they had this brand new thing called computer with an email and they needed someone to be able to use it. So um, all the things that I had done before on being a hard worker student uh, paid off on that internship. Fantastic. And I want to talk a little about Sony. And I think that's a great example of a company that at one point was, you know, sort of like what Apple is today. You know, Sony was the leading innovator from a technology vantage point, from a hardware vantage point, from a software vantage point, and sort of lost their way. The hallmark in your career has been one success story after another, transforming brands, leading brands, changing things to adapt to how the world is today. More important, how it's going to look tomorrow. Where did that come from for you? Was that your early training, that early first experience at Sony, good mentors? You know, I don't know anybody who has their finger on the pulse globally as a marketer uh, and has navigated the old world into the digital world better than you have. Oh, thank you for that. You are you are always a gentleman. I appreciate that. And well, I take it, it. it happens to be uh, true. <laughs> So look, uh, let me just give you an example of inspirations that I never thought I would have had. Um, in my first year at Sony Music, that indeed I agree with you, they were so progressive and because they had amazing leaders with amazing vision, right? Um, I had the opportunity to work with Tony Bennett. And it was at the time that, you know, I was also working with uh, Oasis and, you know, um, you know, uh, offspring, when, when those bands were really massive. Um, and um, the biggest lesson that I had at Sony was with Tony Bennett because he's such an amazing example of reinvention. Oh, the good life. 
and that for me was something that I take until today. So if you think about his career and, and he was, I was sitting with him, had the, had the honor to sit with him and, and he was telling me the story uh, about his career and Frank Sinatra, etc., and how he made his choices and therefore he was still alive versus the other ones. And did you, how did you meet? Do you remember meeting Frank Sinatra? I met him at the Paramount Theater. I went backstage when I, I had my first two million selling records, Because of You and Cold, Cold Heart. Wow. And I, oh, thank you. Thank you. And I, I was just troubled about, I felt nervous about an audience. And he taught me that the audience are your friends. They come to see you. And he changed my whole psychology about there's no such thing as a bad audience. There's a bad performance, but there's not a bad audience. Do you do... Uh... <laughs> we are the best here, yeah. We love him, yeah. <laughs> when he started talking about how he reinvented himself and, and how that unlocked with uh, his album Unplugged, the MTV Unplugged, uh, I thought it was a fantastic inspiration to say that, uh, you know, in the world that we live today, nothing is set in stone. So if you have that willingness, that drive, that enthusiasm, and you surround yourself with people to drive you in the right direction, anything is possible. So if you look at his career, and, he, and he, in that case, it took for him to listen to his son. You know, his son said, you know, I think there is an opportunity here. And I think lots of younger people would really appreciate hearing you. And, um, and you hear flying to fly me to the moon in the MTV Unplug It. And, and, you know, I have goosebumps. Fly me to the moon. And this is the same person that my father was a fan of. Yeah, my father was born in 25. So how he has managed to transcend generations, uh, I think it's a fantastic example. And some people, they lose that perspective. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think what his son, Danny, who I'm sure you met also, what he did to bring back his dad at a time when his career was sort of over. And he introduced him to a new audience, as you suggested, and he's been flying high ever since. Exactly that. And, and, and look, it's, um, it is, these are the type of things that really inspire me. Uh, I've, I've really, I strive to keep my curiosity um, live and kicking every single day. Um, so I've, I read a lot. I connect to everyone. Um, and even though sometimes it's, it's not that easy because there are language barriers or whatever it is, I think this is um, one of the things that has helped me is to really uh, have my value of openness very close to my heart. So this means that for me, I look at everyone as an opportunity to learn. I, I look at every opportunity as an opportunity to keep developing myself. Um, I learned very late uh, to show a bit more my vulnerabilities. I've, um, I think it's something that, you know, if you're a Latin woman raised uh, in, you know, in a restaurant environment, in a hotel environment surrounded by men, you learn to, to you raise uh, being quite tough. Um, so I don't know, it's not that long ago that I've learned to let go a little bit and, and share my vulnerabilities. And, and there is a big source of strength in there. Um, but I think this this sense of curiosity, I, for me, is the most important one. If, if you, when I'm looking for people, uh, for talent, I'm always observing, you know, how curious they are. I'm always observing the enthusiasm towards learning. And, and this, for me, it's, it's things that I strive to do. Um, and I don't know if this is what uh, helps me. Um, and, and having this um, healthy, um, healthy sense of uh, dissatisfaction, you know, because at the moment that the sofa feels too comfortable, 
maybe you you lose that perspective. There is some always a different perspective that you could uh, be be learning from. So so this is what I do, right or wrong. I, I've I've um, I follow this, and and as you say, I've been extremely fortunate to have. Um, fantastic mentors and sponsors and people that have been amazing and generous to me throughout my career uh, till this day. And, um, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. And I keep them very close to my heart and I do everything I can also to um, reciprocate everything that uh, I've been given. So I, I, then I guess think you moved on to craft and then ultimately had a long tenure at Unilever. Looking back on that almost 15-year period, um, again, along the same lines, were there particular experiences or mentors that you look back upon fondly? And knowing you, I'm sure you're still in touch with all of them, but anything in particular come to mind? So I think there is one thing that um, I'm, I'm extremely grateful to Unilever. Um, and I had the chance to be talking to one of their um, board members last week um, to share that. Um, one of the things that uh, I've observed and, and, and I admire from the distance is how much I have learned about purpose, about diversity and inclusion and about sustainability there. And um, I, I want to share with you one example uh, because there are some, you know, on walking the talk on the agenda that you say to the external world. And um, when, remember that I told you I moved to London with a five-month-old baby um, and my husband. Um, the story that proceeds to that was the following. Um, you know, and, and I will walk the talk on being vulnerable. Um, when I've joined Unilever, um, my, unfortunately, my husband and I, we had had two miscarriages in our, um, you know, um, in our eagerness to, to have a family. It was really not working out. Um, and after my, so this is 2007, uh, at the end of the year, we discovered that uh, we are pregnant again. Yes, yeah? so this is the third time. And uh, before the third month complete, I get uh, this uh, call to meet with my boss on the 23rd of December, that in Brazil, everyone is on the beach already, right? And I was not on the beach because I was waiting to do my first three months ultrasound. And he calls me and he says, look, the guys in, in London in the headquarters, they really love what you've been doing in Latin America. Fantastic turnaround. They want you there. And, and I said, oh, I said, look, uh, let's talk in January. Thank you very much. But, you know, it, that thing that, you know, um, and then I went home and I told my husband, we really wanted to have the opportunity to live abroad. But we looked both each other in the eye and we said, there is no way that we are going to to lose, you know, to com to do anything to compromise this chance that we have now. So we went to do the exam uh, it was all good for the pregnancy, but it's still because I had those two miscarriages before, it was still high risk. So I went back in January and told my boss and said, I'm really appreciative of that. I would have loved to, to accept, but the priority is for us to have a family. So thank you very much. Uh, and, and again, I will, when the time arrives, I, I will expect uh, that maybe I have another opportunity. To my surprise, two weeks later, Unilever come back and said, you know what, we really want to go, take care of yourself, have your baby, and after the maternity leave, you come. Even to this day, when I talk about this, I get emotional. Because very few people would have done that. And off we go. So imagine the level of energy, commitment, and engagement that I had on this role, on this job in a new country with a new baby, with a 100% committed husband that have, uh, you know, stopped all the work and, and, and the company to join me on this, on this journey. So I think this is, I think this type of actions, 
they speak louder than anything else. And I think that's why, you know, when you look at the, the ranks on diversity and inclusion and sustainability, Unilever is always at the top. And this is done by amazing people that they have over there. And that human compassion, that human element, I remember our first meeting in Mexico City, you know, jumping to your next gig at Heineken. And I remember that so vividly from our conversation and walking out. I said, she gets it and there's a real person there. And I can see now where that between what you were talking about with your father and grandfather and all these experiences, I can see how that really shaped you. Yeah, so look, it's... um I feel every day that I wake up, I, you know, I look and I, sometimes I shake myself to to see where I am, yeah, and and I feel extremely lucky and and um, I feel extremely grateful uh, for the amazing husband that I have. Uh, you know, we are married for twenty years, and and honestly, I think when people say, you know, marry well. Um, if you want to have a career, uh, I think people underestimate how much this is important. You know, he is my biggest fan together with my with my son. And if you don't have that network with you, it's very difficult. So um, Mexico was was a fantastic experience, as you said. You know, together we have launched. Uh, Ag Week, uh, Latam, and, and uh, I'm, every year I'm so excited to see it growing. And then this year, you know, we send a group of people uh, there from Bayer to learn and to, to drink from that fountain. But when we met there, I remember I was talking about uh, gender violence and, and obviously there was uh, the earthquake as well. So... Uh, these experiences, and I remember Claudia Romo in your previous um, conversations and talks um, in Great Minds talking about her experience on a previous earthquake in Mexico, those things form you. Every, there was a collective panic. Literally the entire city could not sit anymore or be in a street. You know, like if you were in your car, the earth was shaking and it was quite hard. And we did not know where our friends or family were all the time. The communication was broken. So everybody became a volunteer one day after the other. We had to shelter for a week or because we were scared that our the neighborhood was actually going to hit again. And I, I think that there is math one story in every human being that all—it's all, like almost you can go back to that defines who you are and what you mm. do. And that was mine. The day in which we started volunteering and my job was to try to sweep the streets one after the other of my neighborhood. Actually, it was not my neighborhood, but one neighborhood trying to find people that were trapped in the buildings. You can choose those things in life. This, you know, when you have an experience like that, you can either either get afraid and and, uh, terrified and you can um, recede back and disconnect or you can open up and you connect more and you understand more. Um, It it makes you more human, I think, uh, but you have to... You have to be in, in good um, in, in a good place with your emotions. So I've learned to to make peace with my emotions when things make me happy or, or sad. I've I've learned to be in peace with that. And I think this is I think what people think is authentic about me, that is it is what it is, right? Absolutely. And I'd love Patricia, I remember that campaign. It was Takade, wasn't it? Yes. And I'd love to talk about that because it was such a groundbreaking campaign in Mexico, I think in particular, um, against uh, violence towards women. Can you talk about how that came about and what that meant to you? Yeah, so look, when when I arrived, um, the campaign was... um, was done and uh, the big thing is when you have this really uh, impactful things is how do you activate it Um, because one thing is to do it and the other thing is putting it out there for a beer brand in Mexico that has uh, you know has a a lot of uh, bias and and perception of uh, you know misogyny etc it was extremely brave 
So the thing that that uh, together with the team that I did is, you know, we always, Tecate is, is very strong. It's the second biggest brand for Heineken globally, only after Heineken. So, uh, and Mexico is, at the time, was the biggest country, single country for Heineken in profit worldwide. And um, we look and we say, we, we do a lot of uh, investments at the Super Bowl because Super Bowl in Mexico is really big. And we said, this year we are not going to do it. We are going to put the money on this campaign, but we are going to ask people to tweet for this. And we are only going to use this campaign in our uh, media, social media, etc., and website. And all the tweets we are going to transform in donation to build shelters. So women that are victims of violence in their house, they have a safe uh, shelter to go to. And this is not a small thing, you know, and I, I was shocked with that. And I don't know if you remember, Matt, but the the statistics in Mexico are, are shocking because almost 80 percent of the people in Mexico think it's OK for women to get beaten at home. And one, you know, every one one in three women every single day get beaten up at home. So this is something that is not a, a, a female issue. This is a, a society issue. You know, as you know, we were talking before, you know, we all have mothers, sisters, uh, you know, wives, uh, daughters, you know, don't do it because it's your gender or the gender you identify with. Do it because it's the right thing for society. And it's not right to have anyone getting beaten up uh, at home every day it's just not right so um, it was it was a fantastic thing to be able to do that and uh, at Cannes in that year we got recognized with glass uh, with the gold lion glass category um, that it was great just to reinforce you know internally and externally that is worth fighting for the causes that you believe in yeah so it's worth taking the risk it's worth uh, putting yourself out there and not shying away for the the issues in society that you should be driving. Fantastic. Fighting for and making a difference. So let's talk about how you got from Heineken and Mexico to where you are now at one of the great global corporations in the pharmaceutical space, Bayer. It was, um, so from a personal point of view, um, uh, Mexico started getting uh, quite dangerous. Uh, for me, the number one priority is my family safety. They've been with me through, uh, you know, through everything. So I need to make sure that while I'm traveling, while I'm out in the office, they are safe. And and I was not feeling that anymore. Um so this was um, the main driver. I've, uh, I think Heineken is a great company. We have managed to do amazing work there. I think we got over 20 FEs from, you know, Mexican FEs, Latin American FEs, Grand FEs in the period that I was there, the, the gold uh, lion I can. So um, great uh, opportunity. And I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Um, when I was um, analyzing the options that I had, um, I look at the buyer option. Uh, buyer in Brazil, it's an extremely trusted brand and company. Um, and I look at consumer health, uh, the great brands that they have, that if you have used those brands, you have a high level of loyalty because the products and the science behind them are amazing. Uh, the opportunity that I saw at that point is how do I, how could I bring this experience from FMCG of uh, consumer obsessed marketing, human uh, truths um, combined with science? How do we humanize science was my motto when I was thinking about it. And the other thing that attracted me about this opportunity as well is the combination of the digital role with the marketing role. You know, being the chief marketing and digital officer, it's something that for me was important because the the digital part is one that I've had the chance to exercise a lot in Mexico and I didn't want to stop. And and I find it very difficult nowadays to separate digital from marketing and digital from sales. I think this digital is just a channel. Um, so we need to make sure that this is all within the same umbrella. So here we come and, and now we are one year and a half in 
Um, really great experience. This year, very different than last year. You know, last year I was, uh, you know, probably most of the time on a plane or somewhere else. Uh, I have to confess I missed uh, being with my family and uh, the silver lining on what's happening, you know, eight weeks in confinement so far is that I'm having the chance to catch up on all those missing dinners and missing lunches. Um, and, and it's working really well, the, the virtual connections, you know, because I have part of my team in Weepany, New Jersey, and the other part here in Basel. And one of the key things I always had in my mind is how do we bridge the gap so both teams, wherever they are, or anywhere in the team, wherever they are, they feel that they are at arm's length. And with this, now everyone is at the same distance. So, you know, looking at uh, what's the gift that we can find in here, um, there is this gift of proximity and there is this gift of inclusion because now everyone is in the same place. Um, so it is. it has been a very interesting journey, uh, very intense journey and, uh, and, and looking... Uh, at the months to come, you know, we are this week. We just launched a new um, a new program, you know, um, based on creativity and courage from the brand. So really excited about the months and years to come. And let's talk a little bit about um, that combination that was so appealing to you of being chief marketing officer and chief digital officer. And you don't see a lot of companies smart enough yet to put those under one person um, because today they really are one and the same. Hmm. I agree. I was uh, when I joined, I had the chance to to talk to Lubomira that was in another one of your of your podcasts because um, she did an amazing job, and I wanted to drink from that fountain in in, in L'Oreal. And, uh, and it was one of her observations, you know, it is, it is uh, a benefit to have the CMO and the CDO combined because then there is no dispute between them. Because sometimes it doesn't help um, if there is two different agendas. Um, I'm not sure if the, I don't know if it's a consequence uh, of uh, lack of uh, skills and capabilities in the marketing combined or if it's... Uh, they have different um, expectations for for the roles in other companies. I think the future just uh, you know it's it's pointing on that direction that you know digital again it's it's a channel, and at the end I think uh, probably the chief digital officer is going to disappear. Um, the technology person, you know, the chief technology and information or data officer are going to, to be there because in marketing, in sales, in all the areas, digital is such an integral part that you don't, you don't need to spell out that there is digital in there as well. It's almost like you're saying, you know, I am the chief analog officer and I'm also the chief digital officer. You know, nobody says that they are the chief analog officer. Why are we saying we're the chief digital officer? Right. I think it's just to highlight the point because we want to send the message that that is a priority for us. But it's but it, I and it is a priority, but it's not the only thing that is being done. You know, I think it's just looking, looking uh, at our consumers and customers through these lenses, and we will see that digital is an integral part of their lives. So, I don't think there is any discussion still to be had if digital is is important or not. Yeah, no, I mean it's so funny to reflect on you know where we were and where we are now. I still remember we started Advertising Week in 2004 in New York City. And, you know, in 2004, Facebook was on the Harvard campus. We were several years away from YouTube. You know, Snap, I think, was 2010. Um, I remember Gmail was introduced in 2004 to considerable skepticism. Oh, um, my God. And we used to have a digital track. And then a few years later, we would have a social thought leadership track. And to look at that now, I mean, digital and social are part of everything. So it's incredible where it's come. Uh, and, and absolutely. And 
you know, I think marketing and, and for me, one of my uh, obsessive uh, thematics is the um, one thematic that I'm obsessed uh, about is the um, how the marketing organizations evolve to be more ready for the future. Because if you think we still have the same way of um, structuring ourselves as the one that comes from the Ogilvy books. You know, you have the brand people, you have the media people, you have the innovation people, and um, and and there must be uh, there must be a better way. And um, you know, I I I had the opportunity to attend the CMO program at uh, Kellogg's Northwestern, and and this is one of the big topics of the discussion: what's the structure of the future? Because if we keep having people in the different teams, you know, calling them digital ninjas or the digital marketeers, we are also sending a message that everyone else is an analog samurai, an analog marketeer, because for every digital ninja, there is an analog samurai. So either everyone is a digital ninja plus something um, or we are probably not articulating where we see that the world is, is already now at um, in, in a very compelling and, and clear way. So it is, it's, it's moving too fast and, and, uh, and it's not an area for people that don't like change or people that, uh, you know, they get faced with, uh, with learning on the fly. This is for sure. So let's talk about some of your priorities now and I'd love to also talk about the program that you just launched earlier this week with Contagious and our old pal Paul Camp Robertson. Yeah so look in terms of priorities um, for us now COVID uh, uh, the COVID pandemic and and those you know in present times that we are living are an opportunity for us even to simplify more the agenda um, we have very clear pillars in terms of uh, modernizing our marketing, um, in terms of making sure that our sales is super customer centric. And this is something that is changing so much now at the moment. So, And the other one is the digital transformation one that regards, uh, it's not just on sales and marketing, but also in the functions in product supply, in R&D. Um, these are the three key pillars of the things that uh, that we are doing. Uh, we have a thematic for for our for our office that is uh, you know keep being curious, because we truly believe that you know through curiosity and imagination and you know that enthusiasm we can really it's not about what you know or what you have experienced before, it's about what you will learn and about how you're going to use that to change uh, the things in the future for the better. Um, so this is, it, it is not a complicated agenda. I'm, I'm a big fan of simple things. I'm a big fan of strong fundamentals. For example, one of our big programs is reviving the art of crafting briefings. Because um, I think it's a fundamental, and I think it's an art, and it yields amazing things. When you have amazing briefings, you get amazing things coming out of it. So it's much more on the um, fundamental pieces, on strong base, um, and not talking about, you know, just uh, we, we raise the floor together with raising the ceiling. We are doing the two things combined. You know, I, I, I want to ask you a couple more things, but you just made me think of part of your role here is managing a huge global network of support, looking at creative agencies, looking at media mm. agencies. How much time does that take for you? How much do you rely on the agencies? Uh, are there some that you like better than others? A tough question that you, uh, <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot there. Uh, and how, you know, let's talk a little bit about how you manage all that. Uh, it's 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 funny because before uh, talking to you, I was just uh, with BBDO, uh, Andrew Robertson and and Tonis uh, in in Chicago. Um, I'm very very happy, and I trust a lot our key partners. Um, I I bend that we call them suppliers. I don't accept that we call them agencies. They are all our partners. Um, 
And uh, last year, we did a full review on our key partners. Um, we did some changes. It was difficult. Uh, we, we part ways with one of our partners that was with us for 17 years. Um, and we brought uh, new people in. We also... Um, you know, uh, raise the bar in some areas like the digital uh, content partner and uh, sustainability and uh, purpose and uh, joining forces with uh, with Bill Brook and Matt from Analog Folks. So we have created this uh, really good set of partners that uh, I rely on, I trust, and I challenge every day and I talk to them, um, you know, in a constant base because they are hand-on-hand -hand with us all, you know, in, in the countries with the global category team to help us bring the purpose of our lives, the benefits, uh, the purpose of our brands to life, the benefits of our products, and, you know, the beauty of the things that we have in our hands uh, and helping us tell the story. Um, I don't have any. I don't have any favorite uh, because it. I think it clouds your judgment. Uh, my my experience, and I've been extremely fortunate with the agency partners that I've had, is that I connect with them. I make a. I make a very clear uh, commitment to them about transparency and about connection and about being full in, no hidden agendas. Um, we create transparency on how the business in, is doing and uh, we celebrate the same way that we share the, you know, the, the celebrations, we share the issues where we want them to help. And, um, and with that, we create something that puts us all together. So I, I talk to them not only when we have problems, because otherwise it's not a relationship, right? It's, it's a recipe for divorce. But we talk uh, in a constant base, and I've uh, and I'm very happy with the with the support that we have and with the challenges that we have ahead of us, and how the full system is embracing the partners that we have. Okay, so that was a great answer and a great non-answer at the same time, which I appreciate. I knew you. I, oh, you I knew. I knew you couldn't tell favorite. me a favorite. I listen. I wouldn't answer that either if I were you. No, but I, I truly don't have. I'm not being. Uh, I'm not being disingenuous. If you ask me what is the campaign that we have at the moment that I'm in love with, I can tell you right now is the one that we have for Canestan in Brazil. Um, that is a product that nobody wants to talk about because it treats something that is called, um, you know. Um, bacteria vaginosis and just by the name you start lowering the tone of your voice because you know it's something that nobody has and if you have you don't talk about it and we have an amazing campaign on air and we are putting out there how do we break the taboo and we should be talking about that and it's not a surprise that you know in the first day it had over a million uh, hits on youtube in three weeks it has you know i think it's one of our most successful campaigns in buyer globally and it's a fantastic work from the team in Brazil together with the, the Canistan Global team. Uh, and, and, you know, we have many campaigns on air, so I'm not, uh, I'm not shining away from, from being very transparent on, my, on where, where my heart sits at the moment. And I, I think this is a great example of brand courage and brand uh, bravery. Yeah. Um, with our agencies, you know, I love them all. If I didn't love them all and I think they were not doing a good job, we wouldn't be partners. I think it's, you know, this is the agreement that we have. We have to be striving for outstanding work together and we should uh, hold ourselves to the highest standards. And, 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 and this is it. Yeah. If it's anyone is comfortable in this relationship, it's the wrong relationship to be in. And I know everyone that is with us. It's in the same place today. I've, I, you know, I have absolutely no doubt about that. BBDO, Mullen Law, Analog Folks, you know, uh, the agencies that we have in the countries, we are all together on this one, and there is n not a, a shadow of doubt in my head about it. So beyond your work, and I'm glad you talked about that campaign in Brazil. When you look out and you see what your competitors are doing, what other great global brands are doing. Whose work do you admire right now? Who do you think is really helping to lead the way today? Hmm. Uh, there, there are many great things happening uh, in, in creativity at the moment. I think um, 
I think having a crisis is it's a great moment to unleash the creative juices. I I really like uh, what Popeye is doing in the U.S. Where we come from, everyone is family, and families share video streaming accounts. Post photos enjoying your Popeye's meal on Twitter using hashtag that password from Popeye's. The first thousand people to post will get our streaming service username and password. Fried chicken and two. <laughs> I like some of the, you know, some of the things that we are seeing, um, and I don't want to mention the the common ones, um, but I think the car companies now, considering all the issues they are having, I I love what Jaguar is doing. You know, some of the these companies they they ha- they could have decided just to go off air. Um, Visa, you know, I think in, there are lots of those companies. L'Oreal, I love what they did with Eva Longoria. If you've been following me, you know I've been going great. So I have my favorite solution. Magic root cover. So this thing's awesome because it has a little nozzle that makes it really specific. But look, you guys, look at how much gray I have and watch this. So to see Eva Longoria, you know, with uh, with gray hair, it is super bold. So I'm a big fan of bold, courageous statements, and uh, and it's great to see that. Um, but there are also, you know, uh, things that we are seeing in terms of usage. Um, I, I I'm getting super excited on how the West uh, is embracing TikTok so fast. Because when I was in China at the beginning of last year, um, you know, TikTok was already exploding there. And and when I talked to people in the office uh, here or in the U.S., nobody knew about that. And to see that platform growing so fast, uh, it's fantastic. The one thing, though, Matt, that I think is the best thing that I've seen on this crisis right now is not from a brand, but it's from a group of people that is the all-in challenge. People think it started with us. Well, it didn't. No. The Jackmans and Reynolds have been mortal enemies for as long as there have been Jackmans and Reynoldses. Sis. For generations, it's been a point of family honor to oppose each other. We start a gin company. And we start a coffee company. Together, we start a war. Because gin is for the weak. That's right, asshole. And coffee is for sleepy people. In fact, there's only one thing that we do agree on. Friends is a really good show. Well, for one day and one day only, we've agreed to agree to not disagree. And and only a pandemic could could make that happen. We've agreed to join the all-in challenge. We've agreed to the all-in challenge. We'll stop our feud for one day and help sell a different type of drink. Lemonade. At your child's lemonade stand. That's right. All to help fight food insecurity. Because no one deserves to go hungry. Just go to this so go to this URL. website. It's a URL. Nobody calls it a web. Sorry. Sorry. And I think this is <laughs> when, this. you know, there's some of those challenges are just absurd. And, you know, it, it, it drives you insane on what are the things that people can waste time to do. But you have the artistic community joining forces for the greater good, I think it's an amazing example of um, what to do when crisis hit. Really, uh, couldn't applaud more this. As you said earlier, in a time of crisis, this is when you really see true colors and, and who steps up and who doesn't. Exactly that. Well, this was great, Patricia. Was, was there anything else that we should have touched on that we didn't? Um. Maybe it's my time to pay you a compliment. Uh, I want to thank you, Matt, because I think the work that you do with Advertising Week, it's essential to help um, raise the new, um, the new troop of marketeers around the globe. And you put so much love, so much effort, so much dedication to bring this you know, to so many different regions and the effort that you put to bring partners and to bring the brands that are really making a difference is extremely important for us to have the marketeers that are going to be the people making the difference in the future for our brands. Um, 
it's not surprisingly that you have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling very humble to be in your podcast because when you look at the list of amazing people that are your friends that come to this podcast to talk about uh, their experience and share their life stories with you, it's an amazing recognition of the value that you bring to this industry and for all of us. I was talking about Tony Bennett reinventing himself, uh, but maybe I should have talked about you because, you know, you reinvent yourself, I think, every year and you just come better and better and better. And, I'm, you know, every year I'm expecting what you're going to do next. And, you know, you already presenting me some programs, you know, the future is female, you know, there are a couple of things that you're doing. They're just, you know, the leading edge and we need you. So I want to take the chance to say thank you to you and all your team uh, for keeping everyone up to speed with what's the best out there and for always making sure that you bring the best speakers and, you know, and keynotes to the event so people have always a wonderful time at Advertising Week, wherever they go in the world. Wow, that was, that was really kind of you. And uh, listen, I think much like you, and I think one of the reasons why we like each other, uh, you can't see me right now, but I'm blushing, Patricia. Thank you. Um, <laughs> One of the things that uh, I think joins us together is that self-motivation and, you know, a fear. Uh, fear can sometimes be a very good motivator. And in our case, fear is not being afraid of something, but rather not wanting to get lazy. And I think that spirit of invention and reinvention and being to walk away from things that have been successful just because it feels like, you know, it's time to go out on top. You know, boxers, I was watching a great, uh, some old fights on ESPN with Julio Cesar Chavez. And like most fighters, you know, he hung on too long. Mm. And, and I think there's something to be said for knowing when to leave the room. And went and, and went to go into a new room and build a new room or house or, you know, even a bigger building. So um, I, I love having you on the show. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for finding the time. And I want you to get outside and go for a walk with that dog. <laughs> thank you very much. And as you said, let's, you know, let's leave. Let's not follow the boxers because, you know, Pacquiao is another bad example on that. I'm also a boxer, uh, a boxing fan. Uh, and let's let's leave all gracefully. <laughs> let's 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 walk out of the ring with everything still intact. Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit advertisingweek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. And original music was by Ian Levy.